When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast, Charged Up Studio, with Sandra Dorsey, founder and CEO of Sendor Capital. And I have my co-hostess with me. Dana Olivo, CEO of Marketatomy, LLC. Wonderful. We have another fantastic session for you. You've been on this journey with us for a few sessions now. And on that um, momentum, we're building more and more information um, uh, opportunities for you so that you can become more empowered business owners. We know that you, our audience, are uh, small business, medium-sized businesses who are thirsty for information when it comes to policy. And today we have in our studio with us, we have Angeli Vaya, who is the founder and CEO of uh, Tez LLC. It's a digital marketing specialty in diversity marketing campaigns. And she also specializes in digital marketing strategy. And she has a master's in healthcare system management, also a um, from the electronic Institute, Kansas City, Missouri. She has a Bachelor of Science in Respiratory Therapy from the University of Michigan. Anjali is my hero because she came to the United States where she was, um, she came to school and she actually just wanted to have greater opportunities. She was born in Africa. She is Indian descent and she was a pioneer and decided that, you know, her immigration or her immigration status was not going to be a limitation, but rather an opportunity for her to thrive as the United States of America encourage all immigrants to do when you enter this country legally. So other uh, other guest is Mr. Jason Broder, who is, I would say, a seasoned politician. He has run several campaigns and currently is... Um, running for uh, Florida Senate. He is the president and CEO of Seminole County Regional Chamber of Commerce and a former account executive for Procter & Gamble, graduated from the University of Florida with a, um, BA, with a bachelor's and also an MBA. The University of Florida Alumni Board of Directors, um, where he is a member. And he also attends St. Andrew's Chapel, I love a religious person. So I, he is married to Christy, child advocate and former secretary of the Florida Department 
of juvenile justice. And he joins us today um, out of his busy schedule. We're very grateful to have them both here. I do want to add that Angeli is running for Orange County Commissioner's seat. She is a wife and mother of a beautiful young boy. And this is why she has developed wisdom. So I believe that as a mother, she will bring that wisdom to, our, to you, our audience. So that said, we will open up to these two wonderful guests and start discussing how this current political climate is somewhat um, sort of shaping future policy for you, the business owner. And, you know, we encourage you while well, after listening to this, that you send in your questions, you bring out what was the most important point made. So that said, I'm going to open it up and Donna will start the line of questioning. <laughs> well, great. I'm really excited to be here with both Angel- Anjali. Yes. I've got a friend that's named Anjali, so that's going to be <laughs> difficult for me. Anjali and Jason, both here. So, Jason, short of not being a UCF knight. <laughs> Actually, I do have uh, quite a few number of credits from the University of Central Florida prior to my attendance at UF. So thank you for having me. And technically, I am a knight. So. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm a knight's fan all the way. So um, kind of give us a little bit of understanding on or or – The reason we wanted to bring you on the podcast is because of the fact that we focus on small and micro businesses. And I'd like to get your opinion on how you feel as though these small and micro businesses can make a difference in the turnout when they if they should go to the polls, understanding what it is they're voting for. Sure. One of the things that I got a chance to work on during my time in the Florida House of Representatives was deregulating some professions that prior to um, uh, service there seem like they have too many requirements in order for small businesses to begin and thrive. And so having these kinds of small business owners turn out to support candidates that uh, reflect a reduction in regulation so their businesses can thrive is going to mean the world to them. And I'll give you a concrete example of that. Right now in the state of Florida, in order to get a cosmetology license, you need 1,200 hours of training. You need 40 to fly a plane, (laughs) but you need 1,200 to cut someone's hair. Now, from a safety perspective, we can all understand that in a full cosmetology practice, if you're doing uh, nails, uh, if you're doing uh, dyeing, coloring, all that, (laughs) there could be chemicals involved. There may be some... But you don't need 1,200 hours. Mm. You need 1,760 hours to be an interior designer. Mm. Yeah. Where is the safety element in that? And so for a long time, I think a lot of professions put up these giant barriers to entry for a small other small business owners because they liked having that monopoly. Mm-hmm. When in reality, yes, there should be requirements for those jobs that have safety elements to them. But if I'm trying to match a pillow to the drapes, do I need 1,760 hours? And if it doesn't match, is that really a safety issue? I think these are the things that voters and small business owners need to understand, that there are candidates out there that see how silly that is and that you don't need to spend $20,000 in tuition to cut a kid's hair. Well, you're absolutely right. My sister is an interior designer, and um, 
when you think about it, okay, as an interior designer, what safety issues are you taking in consideration, okay? Now, granted, if you're going in and you're taking out walls and everything, yes, that's going to be a safety issue, but interior designers are not licensed to do that. Correct. Okay. So, Anjali, we were talking earlier um, a little bit. Give us a little bit of oversight on what we were talking about. Sure. So, you know, I do operate um, on the tourist corridor, um, and most of my clients are small business. Um, We do have a technology company, so we're constantly working with um, hotel boutiques, um, doctors, restaurant owners on the tourist corridor as well. And we see a lot of questions that come up, you know, as as once you're in a in a client relationship, you're more than just finding solutions in the technology sector. You all of a sudden start listening to other aspects that are are bothering them um, as far as the traffic is is concerned. So on the tourist corridor, when you're you really have to understand that. All of the local governance, the minute you step out of your house, whether it's small business, whether it's education, crime, transportation, all of these things are affecting you one way or the other in the business sector as well. So whether it's the transportation to whether a person can't get to you, whether it's signage issues, whether it's just the tourist traffic on how the advertising is being done internationally as well as um, statewide— It could be numerous issues in governance that could be affecting that traffic. And you, if you're not involved in your sector and advocating on what those issues are and addressing them in a group united, you cannot succeed. So it's very, very important. And I always say this to all of my small business clients to open your eyes and ears because the local governance is really the one that is going to impact you the most, most. on on every on your earnings, whether and also think about the, you know, the um, employment. You know, there are talks about increasing the rates. Right. So on the wages. So you have to really be involved. Well, and that's and that's exactly what this podcast is all about, is bringing these critical issues in front of, you know, small business is is a term that's loosely held as far as the SBA is concerned. The SBA classifies a small business as 500 employees or less. But the companies that are failing are under 10 employees. And these are the ones that are so wrapped up working within their business, they're not paying attention to what's going on outside of their walls. And Angeli had a great message earlier when it comes to the penny sales tax mm-hmm. that people think a penny is just a penny, and that's that's fine. But for a small business, if you think about a cost of living adjustment each year to keep up with inflation, that's about 3%. Well, one penny per dollar is one-third of what you would be giving to employees as pay raises. Absolutely. And so if you're not paying attention, your ability to attract and retain talent goes out the window by some local government who says they need a new road, and it's off of your back. Absolutely. And that's exact, exactly it. If we could you know, somehow work it so that some of these local dollars that we are collecting okay, could go to educating some of these smaller these these micro business owners mm-hmm. to prepare them for going into business. It's empowerment, isn't it's it? It's empowerment. Just imagine what that would do for our GDP Absolutely. and our labor force. 
And, you know, unfortunately, it's usually too late once they found out. I talked about, um, I, I mentioned to Donna that I was once a consultant on a project for the government who was giving grants to local businesses. And we were sent in to, after the granting period, or I think the fourth year of the granting period, right before it expires, to help them how, to show them how to financially sustain themselves. It was too late. It was too late. Giving the information simultaneously with the grant is what's important. There are, there are a lot of opportunities out there financially for small businesses, but the information is lacking to get to the consumer, to the business owner. Small, medium-sized businesses need to know how they can partner with the government. Unfortunately, like you mentioned in some of those conversations that you shared with us earlier, um, red tape, you know, to access these opportunities. And, you know, that's what's at risk here in this current political climate. And the best way to tackle some of these issues is to be informed. Do not right. be afraid that you cannot understand or discern the information directly, that you need a third party, such as the mainstream news, to understand. They cannot know your in, your direct situation. Only you know your direct situation in order to better understand how to move forward. And that's why this podcast is here. We are real business owners who can actually who've walked your, in your shoes so we can bring you the information based on our experience. And these two wonderful guests have, uh, you know, given us the opportunities also to get some insights on their journeys. And so, Angelique, would you tell us basically, you know, I, I highlighted your, you know, your start and, you know, coming to this country and how, you know, your father was, uh, tell us a little bit, your father was a business owner. In- no, my father actually wasn't a business owner. So I come from Africa, from Zambia, and my father was a missionary doctor. Mm. And um, he moved in from India in 1963. And um, we've come from a family and a tradition of service because that's all my father has done mm-hmm. um, the entire journey. Um, we've seen some very harsh times, extremely harsh times, um, not even having um, books to study with um, through the we only had government schools and, and it was it was a horrible environment, not sustainable. So I feel privileged having had the opportunity to come into the United States on a scholarship, having gone back into um, Zambia and worked with him on HIV campaigning, which was huge in 1996, right. um, worked in some very, very, very tragic scenarios with him to where you really understand how humankind can be so mean to each other. Right. Um, my journey from there was basically coming into the United States on um, being lucky, actually. I won the lottery system. One I've got some out friends of, who have done one that. One out of 50,000 wins it, and that's my story. That's how I came back. I came back, and I feel blessed. I was meant to come back. Um, from that day onwards, I had decided that I was going to be successful. That's all I knew. It was in my blood. I went back to school, studied technology, created one of the very first um, e-commerce sites in the country for furniture sales. It was never heard of. People laughed. You know, They looked and said, who would buy furniture online? Angela, you're just dumb. It was one of the biggest sectors of the company I worked for. Um, and and that just pushes you forward. Pushes me forward. Absolutely. It made me realize that we as humans and as people only limit ourselves right. to where we want to head. And, um, you know, even my success story in small business, it all starts in that early age of really coming with nothing and fighting for everything. Mm. Today, my journey is is I always knew that at some point I would follow the footsteps of my father and give back to the community. 
um, we are in a position right now, I feel, as as um, Sandra said, that it's a very, very extreme political climate, right. left and right, in that the people get forgotten. Mm-hmm. We, the people, we get forgotten. We are the voice at the end of the day. And, it, as li- and like I said, when we come out of our homes, the local politics really, really, really affects our lives, whether it's an economy, whether it's the education, whether it's transportation, whether it's safety, all of these things start with local governance. And it's very important for small business and for the people of Orange County to really look at the candidates and who they are and what do they bring as far as value of the quality of life for you. Will they fight for you? Will they be your voice as you move forward? I have definitely a great journey. I've had a great and been been very blessed through that. And being a successful businesswoman, I understand and being a mother that all of these things that I bring to the table right now, this is not a job right? to come and in here. It is because I purely just want to serve. I don't need the paycheck. Yep. I am here to help you as a small business. I am here to help you as you are in the workforce, because I have washed dishes. Mm-hmm. I have been at library jobs helping people just start a computer. I have been through all those phases in my life. Right. So I understand that every dollar you make matters. It matters. And it's time that the elected officials realize that every dollar you earn is hard earned. It belongs to the county. It belongs to the county constituents. It doesn't belong to them. Yeah. And we really need to find ways to move forward. Absolutely. And so, Jason, you're um, someone who has committed to this political journey from, you know, from a while ago. And so I wanted to know what inspired you? What what was that, you know, that because you were a small business owner mm-hmm. and tell us about that. So I, <clears throat> and my my journey is not nearly as fascinating as Angelie's who is <laughs> is spectacular candidate. If you have not researched her before, please I encourage you to go do so. Uh, I actually uh, born in Lucia County and raised here in Seminole County. My parents still live in the house where I grew up about Native a quarter Floridian mile from here. here. I am. Oh I am. My That's a very uh, Yeah, the Senate district I'm running in is Seminole and Volusia County. So this is, it's a really nice fit for me. Um, I had gotten involved on some on-campus things in um, undergrad and um, thought it was fun, but knew that I wanted to go to work. The, to me, there was a real value, and there is in, in any kind of job, and decided that um, that was something that was a, a childhood thing, but I would put it away. As I got a paycheck and started understanding some of these local issues and started getting angry and um, realized that I was, you know, when you're the the person who's most upset in the Homeowners Association meeting, people say, well, you should probably think about running for office. Right. Uh, so I started service. I was lucky enough to get appointed. I was on the Planning and Zoning Commission for Seminole County, wow. which is just a, it's a recommending board. All of the decisions are non-binding, but you hear all of the, um, the pl- requests, the come, all yeah. the headaches. And so some, some poor person from Geneva would have to come in and petition their government so that instead of a 20-foot setback, they could have a 15-foot setback because they're building a shed on a five-acre piece of property. And I said, wait a minute, you own the land and you got to come ask your government whether or not you can have five feet of extra room on your own property. And I decided at that point that maybe it was time to, to do something different because I didn't like how government was spending
spending money. I really thought the taxpayers were not being represented the way that I, I thought they should. It was always about how much money the government gets and how much money all the programs they put on without much regard for how hard you have to work to earn that dollar yourself. Why is it somebody else gets to take it from you and then reallocate it in a way that you don't like? Uh, and so I really wanted to make sure that that voice was represented. As a, a small business owner and somebody in the chamber, I really gravitated towards state politics because to me, it was in the, the framework of the original um, construct of our government, which is that it's a citizen legislature. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about having only a 60-day session is that for the majority of the year, I work like everyone else. I think um, – and that's, that's – people should understand that the folks they see on TV in Congress that have full-time jobs in Washington are not your state legislators. They're not your local leaders. The people that you interact with on a local level have other jobs, and that keeps you grounded. That helps you understand what – effects these have because they happen to you. The majority of my income, uh, now all of it, is in small business. It's what I do for a living. It's not a government paycheck and it's not the service. You do the service because you love it. You certainly don't make money on that anymore. Well, and, and, you know, I have a lot of respect for any politicians because me personally, having all these enemies coming after me and trying to, you know, to, to deface me you know, and things like that. I just don't have the skin for that. It builds character, doesn't it? Does it does build character. You got to remember, they, you. they are all instructed by their uh, experiences as well, and they had different ones than you did. And so. that's exactly Absolutely. it. You know, when I, um, when I uh, in 2009, when I decided during the peak of the recession to go into uh, Brazil, I had so many people telling me, you're, you're absolutely stupid. You know, they don't respect women down there and all this other stuff. And that didn't stop me. That didn't stop me. I went in there. I was successful in there and everything. But, you know, I hear some of the, the horror stories with some of these politicians, you know, whether they're true or not doesn't make a difference. OK, we've got to look at it. We've got to look at these different stories and this, these these things that are coming out. We've got to make our own decisions. We've got to go and do our research and make our own decisions. Um Jason, you were telling me earlier, um, as far as the the DNA protection bill, okay, you said that you had originally done one of the first ones on this. Can you tell me a little bit about what's happening as far as that's concerned in the next five minutes or so? Sure. So the, the framework of this is that uh, nationally – uh, health insurers cannot use your DNA to help price your premium. What that means is that for all the proliferation of the 23andMe and Ancestry.com and all these places, which I where did. You, that's right. You, which you I can did. submit your DNA. <laughs> uh, part of not only talking about your background is they can look at and see if you have any predictive markers for a potential for a disease state. Right. Doesn't mean you're going to get it. Doesn't mean that uh, you you necessarily um, even need to look out for it. You just have a genetic marker for it. Mm. That could be seen as risky in your health. But health records, again, that is that is exempt. If you choose to share that with your physician, that's up to you, too, to come up with a treatment plan and a protocol on your own. This bill would prohibit life insurance and disability insurance folks from getting their hands on that to then price your premiums for life and disability. Mm-hmm. Because right now, they don't have it. And right now, in the last 100 years, there's been a very vibrant life insurance market and a very vibrant disability market. Those actuaries at those companies know how many people need to be in a risk pool so that they can price a premium at a place where both they make money and they cover all the losses uh, and everyone's happy. If they were to get their hands on your DNA 
and you happen to have a marker for some disease you may never get, it's possible they could now charge you more because you're seen as riskier, even though you've never exhibited the traits and may never get the disease. So this bill in the Florida legislature has, is designed so that life and disability insurers can never get their hands on your DNA. If you choose to share it, that's up to you. But um, they cannot make a claim to it because the only possible uh, outcome is that you get charged more for something that's never going to happen to you. That's phenomenal. Well, it, 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 it is phenomenal, you know, as far as that's concerned. And I, you know, granted, I wouldn't want to be charged for something, you know, additional for something that is not proven yet, right. you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we are living much longer mm-hmm. than we ever did. Absolutely. So the insurance companies are having to pay out more than they originally thought they would. So, well, and, and I think, and I'm in total agreement there. I'm, I'm just looking at both sides yeah. of the coin here. So, so uh, the, the one side of the coin is uh, those actuaries uh, reevaluate their risk every day. So as we live longer, the premiums adjust in real time. Okay, so they're already adjusting for it. They're already adjusting for it, yeah. And then the other part is uh, I think this conversation would be different if we didn't already have 100 years of market experience with it not being in it. Mm -hmm. And so if we were trying to create a brand new market, you could probably make the case that maybe we would need this information in order to better define, well, if we already have a market, why do you need it? Mm -hmm. So my question is, so these decisions are made at the state level. So the the audience will probably want to know where can they get this type of information? How do they stay in? T- um, how do they stay connected to this to this dialogue? How do they you know sure. contribute even? So the, the the easiest way is to call your local state representative or state senator. Uh, this week started Florida's annual sixty day session for the state legislature. Uh, this current DNA bill is being sponsored by uh, Representative Chris Sprouls uh, out of um, uh, Pinellas County, but his in law live in Seminole County. So mm-hmm. uh, a little local connection there. Uh, and I think it's going to get a lot of traction this year. I think this is the year that it's going to pass. But uh, if you go to myfloridahouse.gov or, uh, or flsenate.gov, uh, .com, I'm sorry, um, those two are the sites that have all the bills on them that have been filed for this year that you can look up based on keyword or author or however you want to do it. It's pretty good search functions on both. Wonderful. Well, okay. I know that our audience knows that we are bipartisan um, bipartisan, you know, (laughs) podcast. And so we definitely want to um, highlight the fact that, you know, of course, the Democrats always talk about, you know, the the health care bill. But um, the president has said that the GOP is now becoming the uh, the party of great health care. So, you know, I'm inspired by Mm -hmm. that to hear that everybody across the aisle are talking about health care. And that's that's something that we definitely need to talk about this country. And, you know, um, on the point that you talk about insurance companies, it's interesting that in the last couple of years, it, there's been a conversation about breast cancer and how women are now being targeted for, how can I say, the, the predisposition of breast cancer. I know some celebrities have actually even gone the route of having the double mastectomy and so, for some form of prevention. And imagine if the insurance companies now can utilize that and start mandating that their insurance, in order to get a lower premium, you would have to get these 
um, these type of surgeries. Imagine what world that would be when insurance companies tell you what your process is going to be. This is the start of a great discussion. I think this is why the health care is so important. A lot of the bills that we've done in the Florida legislature are to return health care to consumer decision making. One of the things that has gotten us in trouble over the last 50 years is that insurance companies are driving a lot of the conversation. If we return it to, if we remember, and, and Angelie's dad will, will probably endorse the idea that your physician should be the center of your care and your family doctor should be your family doctor. Right now, a payer of some kind, whether it's insurance companies or the government, is always in the middle making decisions. We need to return it to the fact where it's just you and there's a cash market for it. There will always be insurance. There will always be a government support system. But we went from cash being 80% of the healthcare market Mm -hmm. to now being 2%. Once we inject the consumer back in, Mm -hmm. then we start making choice. Then the prices come down. We have no idea how much anything costs. If you survey anybody and ask them how much it costs to get an MRI right now, nobody knows. And that's that's a great segue to our next segment. Um, Anjali and Jason will both be with us for the next 30 minutes for our next segment. And we're going to touch a little bit on what we're discussing right now and us having more control over our own health care and being able to make decisions on our own. So with that being said, we're going to close out this session. This is Dana Olivo with Marketatomy. And my name is Sandra Dorsey with Sendor Capital. You can reach us at chargedupstudio.live. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We also invite you to join us on Patreon as a supporter for Charged Up Studio. Thank you once again for joining us for this session. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.